Today's scripture reading is taken from Exodus 5, Exodus 6, and Exodus 11. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more, and I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, You may have read The Great Gatsby in high school. Uh, There's a lesser known book by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's called The Beautiful and the Damned. And it's about this guy named Anthony Patch. And he comes from a wealthy family, a wealthy legacy. His grandfather especially is fabulously wealthy. And uh, he expects and is relying on getting this inheritance from his grandfather. He he knows it's coming. But the relationship sours with his grandfather. And the relationship between uh, (laughs) life and the markets sour. And uh, his relationship with his wife sours and he descends into the bottle and there's disease and there's all kinds of brokenness and he ages and his grandfather will not die. Just won't die. And then finally, this is the last scene of the book, is uh, he's in this wheelchair and he's old and he himself is in uh, disrepair and he's in this wheelchair and he's on the... um, the deck of an ocean liner, when he finds out that uh, this, this, the, the court battle has ended, his fa- grandfather has died, and he finds out that he gets all of this inheritance, and the book ends, and it's super sad. He gets exactly what he wanted, and he's really proud and he's and he's even mad he's more mad at the world than ever before he was like I did it my way and his life is just multiplied in these plagues from just waiting and pursuing wealth 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 and he's gonna die and he's so proud that he has his God little g with him at the end that's the beautiful and the damned uh and this is incredible picture is the limits that our fake puny gods have to do anything for us, especially when we run into life's deserts. When fortunes change, when relationships change, and things fall apart and they didn't go to plan, and and when you relied on this one God to get you through in the desert, it just does nothing. 
And it's incredibly similar, similar to like when we look at Exodus, we're gonna look at Exodus five through 11, and it's just these laughable limitations of all the Egyptian gods, which have very similar substitutes to modern gods, little g. So here's a quick synopsis of what we're doing. When you're in a desert, you're gonna try any god, little g, that promises to deliver you. But this is it, the toughest deserts that you and I go through will kill our puny fake gods. But at the same time, they're gonna reveal the only living God who can live through anything. So, when we go through Exodus, we come upon a section that is even well known to people outside of Christianity. So, my neighbors know of the plagues that came upon the Egyptians. They may not know all of them in specificity, but they know, yeah, there were some plagues that covered the Egyptians. And this is what we're gonna see. We're gonna see this, the Egyptians have this shelf, they have this menagerie of fake gods that they think makes life work for them. Now, there's not a one-to-one correspondence. They have, sometimes they have an idea and multiple gods will fulfill that idea. So they have a representation, um, and and I'm gonna go through these quickly. The Nile, and again, in an agrarian culture, you're gonna get this, water's gonna control everything. So they have a god, Hapis, the bull, Isis, a goddess, Kunum, the ram, and it's gonna represent like, oh, is the Nile gonna flood properly? Frogs, there's a goddess called Heket, gnats, almost like the, the grains of sand, Like, think of this, the gnats are one of the plagues, and Set is the god of desert storms, okay? Um, Flies, there's there's the god Ray, he's also known as Ray the sun god, and um, Watch It, who's represented as a fly. They have all of these these pictures representing the flags, uh, or the, the plagues are going to represent gods, that the Egyptians think help and control life. So I'm not gonna go through all of them, but remember this is what does the agrarian culture, the Egyptian superpower, they are literally just taking their context. This is how I think life is made. This is how I think security for my family is made. Um, The cycle of the seasons, right? The weather, the ebb and flow of the Nile, the drought, sand, Um, modern culture is not going to be so different because you are in a context. You have surroundings and it's not going to be the Nile but you are going to have dependences and reliances just around you and say that's how I think life is made safe. That's how I think life works. That is going to provide security for my family. So, we just name these gods differently. They're not Heket, Set, Ra, Isis. We just name them differently. Uh, We aren't, and the idea of fake gods isn't as antiquated and primal as you might think. Because I think like moderns like to snicker at ancient people who thought frogs and the sun might be a deity. (laughs) Silly, silly primal people. 
But God is gonna do something for the Egyptians and the Hebrews and hopefully you. He's gonna show the Egyptians you have fake and puny gods and my God is bigger. The true living God is bigger. To the Hebrews, I am the living God who is gonna deliver you. And to you, you have fake, puny gods. But there's a God who will deliver you too. So there's an interesting thing about puny, weak, wilting, fake gods. Is that they can always be named. And you can give them a likeness. Right? So Ra, oh, he's like the sun. Um, Osiris, like a cat. Apis, like a bull. You, you can name them. Give them names and there's a likening. And it makes a deity really manageable. Doesn't it? But in our refusal to have a real God above us, we will make gods and give them names and give them lightnings. I want you to see something. Puny and fake gods will always rise somewhere within your desires. Um, They'll always start in what you imagine that you really want. Uh, Puny fake gods are always manufactured by a culture. You know culture, that word, comes from the Latin cultus, and a cultus is the thing to be worshiped. A culture is just an amalgamation of a group of people's idols, and they say, this is what we think is important, and we call it culture. So, let's say you, this desire, you say, I really want love. I wanna be loved, I wanna love someone. And what, what have we done as a society? We have given a metaphor for this love and it's this capricious little sneaky Cupid with an arrow. And check this out, if you get struck by it, you have no control. It's just wild, man. I have no control over my passions. Think of that idea, I want love, let's make it something that once it hits you, there's nothing you can do about it but pursue it. How frightening is that? A God who you have no say and he just zaps you and you're like, I'm gonna follow my heart. Or I want money. Think of the thing, you've said this thing is the thing that's gonna be a scoreboard over my life and my peers' life. It's gonna be the thing that is how I evaluate your worth and your value and your dignity. And check this out. We choose to be enslaved by gods like that. You know what's funny is I've been in recovery groups um, and, and it doesn't matter if it's for sexual addiction or drug addiction or alcohol addiction, whatever it is, is do you know the, there's this phrase that people will say and they talk about their powerlessness to their addiction and they'll say, I realize that I would literally just do anything for it. And what's fascinating is I was like, 
oh, I know tons of people outside of this group chasing something else and they would do anything for it. We are enslaved to fake and puny gods. But God, how he presents himself to the Hebrews is unnamed and he will have no likeness. Moses said, do you remember this from last week? Like, what, what should I tell him? Like, who sent me? And he goes, tell him this, I am sent you. No name, no likeness. I'm gonna beat all of these puny fake gods that are named and become manageable. And they have to have something that they're like or they're likened to. Now, check this out, plot twist. the unnamed God will become named for his people. He becomes Lord, Adonai. If you guys open up your Bible app, and if it's the ESV, uh, NIV, or whatever, whatever version it is, you can, you can open up your Bible app, and, and you'll, you'll be like, especially in the Psalms, there's a quick example, and you'll be like, I don't know why they did Lord in all caps. Why did they do that? Well, it's a different word then Lord with a capital L, little R-R-O-R-D. It's a different word. They're trying to say, oh, this is the God that's called Adonai, and it's the covenantal name for God. I'm gonna give you a name where you know that I am in covenant with you and promise, and I'm gonna be loyal to you and faithful to you, and I'm gonna do all of these things for you. He gives himself a name. And then check this out, the unnamed God who gives himself a name and will have no likeness Here's a plot twist for you. He becomes the God who is made in the likeness of what? A rooster? A rat? A sheep? A tiger? No, in the likeness of men. This is from Philippians 2. It's talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being named, being made in human likeness. The unnamed God takes on the likeness of men who bear his image. Isn't that fascinating? Another small point of the plot twist. You know when Jesus teaches us to pray in the New Testament? He says, how do, how do we call this unnamed God? Father. It's not Ra, it's not Osiris, it's not Haket, it's not Harry, it's not that. It says, this only power, this I am who is unnamed, I am gonna give you this relational idea that trumps all other ideas. That's the plot twist. Let's go back to idolatry and these plagues which represent all the different Egyptian gods. When we disorder things in nature, it will always produce weird, crazy, whacked out, perverted idolatry. Okay. And it especially happens when you're in the middle of your desert and you're looking for anyone to care about your problems. Anybody. 
there's, there's a section in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is what we did in the call to worship, um, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? That's a familiar psalm. And David does this thing where he's geeking out about how big the majesty of God, and he goes, oh, there's nothing that compares to you in the earth that I've seen, so this is dumb. It's dumb to even put you in the same room as, so we gotta, we gotta go different. He goes, you have set yourself above creation. He goes, that's how big you are. Like, I can't use creation to compare. You're above creation. And then he says something else. He goes, okay, you're that big. And he goes, and, but he geeks out about something. He goes, why in the world are you, why do you put any mind, why are you mindful of man? Why do you put any of your, if you're that big, like what? Why do you, why do you give any thought to us? And then he ramps it up and he says this. And not only would, would we flit across your mind, why would you even care what's going on with us if you're that big? And he says this, you have set yourself above creation. And then he says this, and you have set man above the earth. It says elsewhere, um, I'm, I'm thinking of 1 Peter as well. Here's this created order. There's this majesty of God, and God has made us as image bearers right below him. Even above angelic beings, it says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says there are angelic beings that long to look into the mind of man. They long to understand. Um, and then... Physical matter and creation is under angelic beings. Now, we have done this. Sometimes you put creation above humanity. You're gonna say, there is something in this world that is even more important than people, and we have done it. I'm going to put, and we've talked about this before, I'm going to put wealth before people. I'm going to put, um, I'm going to put acquisitions and things before my neighbor. Like, we put matter above people, and things get weird. There's oppression. Sometimes we'll do this. Sometimes, especially if you deal with, and I've had some experience with this, if people that are just oppressed by the occult and they're into the darkness of spiritual realm, and sometimes they will make angelic beings above everything else. And things get weird and dark. Sometimes, sometimes people excise God altogether and just like, okay, there's just physical matter. There's not angelic beings, there's no God. And what do they do to replace God? They will put man in God's place. And how does that turn out? Well, domineering oppression. In systems, in governments, it just, you can't play God. Idolatry, and this is the point I wanna make, is idolatry will always exist as a substitute for the true living God. The late writer David Foster Wallace put it this way. He said, because, uh, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And so what he goes on in this passage, he talks about that's why you wanna worship 
a benevolent God or the noble truths. Or he goes, you want to you worship something that's big. But idolatry, um, he goes on to say this. Um, if you don't have something big and good as your thing that you worship, it will turn around and eat you. So he says this, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth, David Foster Foster Wallace writes, worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. He gets it, how out of created order, an idol, a substitute for God will turn around and dominate you, enslave you. Um, You could say this, It's, it's a big one for are the circles that we all are in. I will trust that my wealth will pave the future for me and my family. I have even thought this. You have thought this. But check this out. It's not a figurine that we're putting little votive candles in front of. Right, we're not putting out little bowls of rice in front of a wooden figurine, but you know what? You and I will wake up and run ourselves into the ground for wealth. We will serve it. And we will have our mind on it, and we will be mesmerized by it, and we will think at all times about it. See, see, modern gods, that are fake and puny are not so different from ancient gods that are fake and puny. That's what the plagues will show us, right? They've arranged all of their life around the crops and the weather and disease and the shifting desert and the expansion of their herds and the expansion of their families. And when they are confronted with their gods not performing, what do they do? destroys them. Wouldn't you want something more powerful than a God that can eat you alive? Wouldn't you want something more powerful than what Anthony Patch thought was powerful in his wheelchair? Wouldn't the God who is above all things become your sole pursuit? Wouldn't it? Deserts will reveal your fake puny gods. But deserts will also reveal the living God who voluntarily walked the ultimate desert for you so that you would live and your puny fake gods would die. The gods of Egypt run into the covenant God. And there's to a certain extent that God lets the gods, little g, run wild. You, you wanna see how they go? Let them fill the earth. And the prevalence and the omnipresence of all of these little Egyptian gods just wreak mayhem. And how does that contrast to this? The prevalence of the true God. David said, Fill the earth with your glory. 
And it only brings rescue and life and vitality, beauty. See, we don't have a Nile, but we have, we have our money, we have money, we have the markets, our retirement. We don't have a fertility God, but we have our work and our diligence and our intellectual acumen and our good decisions bringing forth fertility of life. We don't have a God of protection and defense like the Egyptians, but we have our accounts and we have acquisitions and our hoarding and our networks of esteem that bark back to us, you're a good person, you're a good person, you're a good person. We don't have a God of health and sickness like the Egyptians, but you know what? We have our own vigilance and our diets and our technology and our exercise and thinking all the things we do in moderation will be the the line of life to bring me to truest life. We We don't have the ancient gods, but we have these. Uh, a friend of mine named Warren Brown, um, he was in his 40s, early 40s, and he came down with uh, brain cancer. And I, I, especially near the end of his life, I, I would go see him just on a weekly basis. And I'd bring him some lunch, and he was growing in weakness, and he wouldn't eat any of the lunch. And we'd talk, we'd talk especially about his two boys because he knew he was gonna die and so he was talking about his two boys a lot. And he said, this was on one occasion, he said, I've tried to make as much money as I've been able to. And he says, and this is where my money can't do anything. Another occasion, and it was a sweet, sweet time, it was near the end of his life, and I, I said this at his funeral, I captured this. He said, Tim, this is, this is God's plan A. I know it, I'm convinced of it. It's not a mistake, he's in control. I trust he knows what he's doing. He gave me cancer. He said, I'm convinced of that, I've hated that. He said, I felt weak, I've wanted to disappear, but I can't hate what he gave me. And it's for reasons that I do not understand, but he said, one day I will. And he's also in a wheelchair like Anthony Patch. How could he say such a thing against such a seemingly big God, little G, of pestilence and sickness and disease? It's because he had found a bigger God. And that God had met them, met him in his desert and promised him life. And who was the God? Who was the God who would become voluntarily, intentionally puny and go through death, the I am, Jesus, God made puny flesh, who became likened to you, to me. And he went through a desert. He went to the ultimate desert for you and for me. And he will walk through your desert with you now. And you will not die in this desert. And whatever you think is your worst possible end in your desert, it won't be. Do you know why? I know this because all your fake puny gods will die. 
But his resurrection is a preview of what happens in your life in him. And do you know what people will call it? They will call it a deliverance. Father, um, our fake and puny gods have been tried by us <laughs> multiple times. Many of us can't rid ourselves of our fake, puny gods. We just go back to them. And we would just ask, like in our desert, Father, respectively, all of us here, each in their difficulty and trial and desert and dryness, would you kill our fake, puny gods? And would you give us the living water that is you that only rescues, that only delivers, that only refreshes. In Jesus' name, amen.